conservatives tend to be a lot less litigious. They, they tend not to be the ones who, who go to HR if they're offended by something. And people on the left True. very often will go to HR. You say something political, and next thing you know, they've gone to HR, and the company, being afraid of legal liability, is always going to give all of the grease to the squeakiest wheel. The New York Times ethicist answered a question about how to deal with a friend's husband who has become increasingly radical and conservative on social media. Though the pair steers clear of politics and social settings, the tension is palpable, and it's straining the relationship in their group. Sound familiar? Welcome to America in 2021, buddy. As we emerge from our COVID hibernation, these situations are playing out all over. It's uncomfortable. Suddenly, everyone's an expert in all things political, and the social angst hangover from the Trump years is still very real. And it's true on the opposing side as well. Our buddy Ben Shapiro, whom you heard up top, routinely castigates the left and is heard here talking about how the left is more vocal in work situations and social situations. And that's where we are. Each side thinking the other talks too much and should shut the fuck up. Speaking of Ben, he's cruising for a hashtag when we're through with FMF and FRM, by the way. Oh, let's go. Just say the motherfucking word. Ashbetta. In due time, Manny. In due time. While the ink is still wet on the Trump era, we're going to talk through what the real legacy might be before revisionists get a hold of it one way or another and navigate how we can have a productive conversation about this period which still divides us. As I peer in from the outside, it's clear to me that very few are actually getting it right. Now this is going to be more conversational and from the gut than our normal examinations on fuckers. Coming off of the Milton Show and prepping for a couple of seriously wonky economic and policy episodes coming up, I wanted to take a step back and just kind of work through this together. Anywho, that's today. How to talk about the Trump years, a.k.a. what the fuck just happened. We have a related thought experiment for our inter-episode palate cleanser and a ton of feedback to get to in show notes from unfuckers across the globe. I know it's redundant at this point, but I have to say it again. Unfuckers and subfuckers are very funny very thoughtful, and highly intelligent. Somehow, we have to figure out a way to create a community where you can all converse. I don't know if it's Reddit or Facebook or whatever, but the unfucking army is just something to behold. Welcome to any new friends joining us from Best of the Left, David Pakman and the Young Turks. Happy to have you here. Unfuckers support the show by heading to unftr.com and either send a donation through the Bias Coffee link or preferably if you're in the United States, you can purchase one of our unfucking coffee blends from our partners at Native Coffee Traders. Every purchase supports indigenous entrepreneurs on a native reservation in New York and keeps the fires burning at Unfucking HQ. Unfuckers can become subfuckers and receive our episode essays by signing up at unftr.substack.com, which will always be free. Ben fucking Shapiro. You hear how that motherfucker was talking about Black Lives Matter? I tell you, I'm, I swear hey, to- hey, hey, what are we, switching roles? I said in due time, brother. We'll get there, all right? Just, you know, roll the intro. All right, I'm holding to it. This is the story of a political pundit Who looked at the world around him and just said fuck it Gives the middle finger to authority and says kiss my ass But instead of a revolution he started a podcast Just what the world needs Another basic white guy who started a podcast But it's fun because he curses On the fucking So the Times ethicist offered some pretty reasonable advice. You write as if there are only two options here, tolerating his views in silence or cutting him off. Here's a third option. 
Stick with this fellow, but speak up for your politics. Encourage him to do the same. When we stop talking even to people we know and like because of political disagreements, we've abandoned the deliberative democratic project of governing the republic together. Okay, sounds reasonable, like I said, but it's easier said than done. Each of us is holding on to our own facts, our own interpretations, perspectives cultivated from our experiences, our surroundings, and the information that we choose to consume. There's a lot of hand-wringing about tribalism these days as well, tribalism, identity politics, and such. And there's truth to that as well, but even this is a bit reductive. Distilling our differences down to tribalism might explain the extremes, but it does little to explain the large swath of the voting public that's just getting on to get on. To me, there's no difference between the dickbag at a Trump rally who lives on Social Security and Medicare and calls for tax cuts on the rich because they think taxes are socialist, and the self-proclaimed anarchist who lives on Social Security and Medicare and calls for tax cuts for the rich because they don't want to fund your stinking war machine, man. To many of us on the left, the mystery remains as to why anyone with a conscience would have voted for such an aberrant, pugnacious, racist, misogynist, lecherous, pufferfish like Trump. So we should dissect the man and his rhetoric before we attempt to determine where he fits into history. And let's start here. I should put a warning label on what you're about to hear because the mere sound of his voice might give listeners some PTSD. But I want you to imagine anyone else saying these words. Forget everything you know about him personally or the way he conducted himself in office and just focus on the words. It's almost two minutes, but it's important. We're going to have the biggest tax cut since Ronald Reagan, even bigger, and Hillary Clinton wants to raise those taxes. Not going to happen. We will save and protect your Social Security and Medicare. She will reduce and cut your Social Security and Medicare benefits. We will eliminate every unnecessary job-killing regulation. Cancel every illegal Obama executive order. Protect religious liberty. Rebuild our military and take great care for once and for all of our veterans, our great, great veterans. They are not being treated properly. Provide school choice and put an end to Common Core. We're bringing our education local. Support the great men and women of law enforcement. We are going to save the Second Amendment, which is totally under siege. Totally under siege. And appoint justices to the United States Supreme Court who will uphold and defend the Constitution of the United States. In every rally he held, there's a moment where he stayed on script and hammered home the same basic points over and over again. Lower taxes, save Social Security and Medicare, eliminate regulations, protect religious liberty, rebuild the military, take care of our veterans, school choice and end Common Core, support cops, Second Amendment, appoint justices to the Supreme Court to uphold the Constitution. So there are people that believed him. They took him at his word and they thought this was the way to go. I mean, earnestly believed him. Would he rile them up with calls to beat up members of the media, call Mexicans rapists, mock persons with disabilities, make horribly sexist comments, demean, degrade, debase anyone who would oppose him? Yeah, all of it. 
But Trump voters had something to stand on. They had these primary points from the rally, and Democrats just didn't get that. They put up an establishment candidate who was in public service for way too long to hide her prior misdeeds and those of her husband. But I don't want to relitigate Trump versus Hillary. I want to focus on the issues for a second and ask where exactly he might have lied or even fallen apart. He did lower taxes. He didn't touch Social Security and Medicare. He eliminated regulations through executive orders. He fought for religious freedom, at least in terms of his narrative, though no policy really moved on this. He gave a massive increase to the military and even increased spending on veterans. He appointed Betsy DeVos to promote charter schools and school choice. He blamed Black Lives Matter and defended police and law enforcement on the whole. Nothing happened to the Second Amendment because nothing ever happens with the Second Amendment. And he absolutely made good on his promise to appoint conservative justices. Now, if that's a fact, tell me, am I lying? So when people talk about promises, it's hard to argue that he actually broke his campaign promises. Now, I'm talking about the big stuff, not the salacious race-baiting stuff. We're going to go through a few that were indeed broken, but in terms of the issues that mattered most to his supporters or even to those who just voted for him, he kind of kept his word. If you're going to argue against the Trump years, saying he's a liar and that he broke his promises, you're not going to get very far. Why are you doing this? Because I want to know. Listen, I know this sucks. But if you want to beat them, to turn them around, then you have to think like them. There were plenty of lies and misdirects, but on the whole, this was the Trump that they voted for. They didn't watch the opposition channels like MSNBC or read the fucking New York Times. They weren't getting an earful of Russiagate bullshit, kids in cages, shit-talking our allies, and they for shit sure weren't reading books without pictures. And as hard as the corporate media on the left tried to tear this guy down, the other side was building him up, and they did have some shit to stand on. Now, to assuage your anger, let's go through a litany of Professor Orange Von Fucknugget's actual broken promises and absurdities to lessen the pain and get centered on how to really talk about the Trump years. This part's more fun, but as we'll show, it was all much ado about nothing. wall along the southern border. And Mexico will pay for the wall. Yeah, build the wall. Guess what? Wall's not built. In fact, the Trump administration repaired approximately 83 miles of fencing that was already there. And for reference, the land portion of the southern border is 700 miles. Oh yeah, and Mexico did not pay for the wall or the repairs. Because I'm going to be working for you. I'm not going to have time to go play golf. And... Vacation days, it's a big deal. Look, it's a stressful job. Most presidents take off a healthy amount of time. Now, before taking office, Trump routinely criticized President Obama for the number of vacation days he took. Well, during his time in office, Donald Trump took off about 40 more days than Obama. Of course, that was in half the time since Obama served two terms. So, yeah, like more than double. The average American with a full-time job gets about 20 days off per year. The only president to do that? Jimmy Carter, who only took 79 days over four years. So for the record, Trump took almost five times the number of vacation days as Carter. But to have a lot of plans from a lot of different uh, items built in the United States. And it's happening. It's happening bigly. 
gonna bring back manufacturing. Well, give credit where credit's due. The U.S. added about 430,000 manufacturing jobs since January of 2017. Now, these are pre-pandemic figures as we actually wound up losing about 200,000 from where we started. Now, before Trump fans do any cartwheels, that's still about 5 million fewer manufacturing jobs than we had on Jimmy Carter's worst day. By the way, I love using Carter as a reference point because he's so universally shit on and, in my opinion, unbelievably underrated. But that's an episode for another day. I mean, no different than when you're running a company, how you hire top people. We have to get the best people. We need to get the best and the finest. And if we don't, we'll be in trouble for a long period of time. Only the best people. The fact that 88% of Trump's cabinet turned over and only 10 senior White House officials made it all the way through, two of whom were related to the president, oh, by the way, should have been kind of terrifying. And of those that were jettisoned from Trump's orbit, most left in spectacular fashion with several writing tell-all books already, half a dozen who were indicted and found guilty of serious charges, and some who were just fired unceremoniously like he was still hosting The Apprentice. And some just left like a fart in the wind. So 10% stayed, and I'm not sure if anyone would consider Ivanka, Jared Kushner, Ben Carson, Betsy DeVos, and Stephen Miller the cream of the crop. Now listen to this rather insane exchange with Bill O'Reilly from years ago where Trump tries to answer how he can make good on his promise to eliminate the national debt in eight years while cutting taxes. I'll tell you how it's going to bring it back because we're going to create a dynamic economy again. We're going to bring the jobs back from China, from Mexico, but from you Japan, still owe the money. from Vietnam. No, you still owe, owe the, the money, money Bill, but so you going... bring it back. So yeah. how are you going to get the debt yeah. down? Because the country is going to start growing and will be up to four and even five percent. And when we do that, we pay it back so easily. How? It's easy to pay it back. How? Our, how? Because essentially, if you look at the country like a profit making corporation or a losing corporation, right now we're a losing corporation. We're going to make it a profit making. OK, corporation but then you're going to have to raise taxes heart. to get more money in to pay down that debt. The problem we have is our taxes are so high that nobody oh, can, I still, everybody's right. choking. I don't know how Bill, you get, even if Pfizer, you gin the Pfizer. economy up, how does that pay down $21 trillion? You have to take Bill, money the from the corporations all, and people to do it. Even O'Reilly knew this was a bullshit plan. Listening to Trump bumper his way through this non-answer that O'Reilly knows is a lie is amazing. Even before the multi-trillion dollar pandemic bailout, the administration was running a trillion dollar budget deficit. In other words, we were spending a trillion more than we brought in. And it was during a market boom and full employment. So in reality, this was the single most fiscally irresponsible administration in the history of everything. And then there's the big lie. No, not the new big lie, the original big lie. Repeal and replace the disaster known as Obamacare. It's destroying our country, it's destroying our businesses, our small business and our big businesses. We have to repeal and replace Obamacare. Repeal and replace Obamacare was a central theme of Trump's campaign. He made progress on the first part by chipping away at it, not so much on the second. Pre-pandemic, the net result of his efforts was about two million fewer Americans with health insurance. As a result of the pandemic, we actually added about 5 million and growing to that number. Now, most normal countries would be having a larger discussion about the merits of employer-based insurance. The United States, though, no such luck. Even the Democrats refused to take up Medicare for all or anything that resembles a single-payer system in their 2020 platform. 
Children, children, quiet please, quiet down. Thank you. I know everyone's excited for our first post-COVID field trip, but it doesn't mean we aren't on our best behavior. Welcome, kids, to the Hall of Presidents. Now, due to budget cuts late in the pandemic, some things have changed. Please note that the Confederate Fries Stand is now permanently closed, and the Lincoln Logs Play Area is under renovation. What about the Storm the Capitol paintball field? Well, thankfully, that's open. Hooray! Okay, okay, now kids. It's my pleasure to introduce you to our guide today. Please give him your full attention. Thank you, Mrs. Crabapple. It's Mrs. Connors. Whatever. First of all, no touching. And I don't mean the statues. No touching me. I don't like children. Anyway, all of the presidential figures have been recently refurbished due to a generous grant from the Betsy DeVos Foundation. Even the black guy. This guy looks familiar. He sounds stupid. (laughs) Most importantly of all time, the statues no longer say their stupid and boring phrases like four scores and 17 magazine. We have nothing to eat but fear itself, blah, blah. All of the presidents now utter the most famous phrases from the most bigly and important president who will go down in history as the best of all presidents. Really, the most important one. So fantastic. Let's start with the black guy. Uh, You could see there was blood coming out of her eyes. Blood coming out of her wherever. If uh, Hillary Clinton can't satisfy her husband, what makes you think she can satisfy America? And the dummy brother of Lazy Jeb. She's probably deeply troubled, and therefore great in bed. How come the deeply troubled women, deeply, deeply troubled, they're always the best in bed? Crooked Hillary's cheating husband. Look at that face. Why would anybody vote for that? (laughs) Can you imagine that? The face of our next president? (laughs) I mean, she's a woman. I'm not supposed to say bad things, but really, folks, come on. Are we serious? Dummy and Lazy's father. I just started kissing them. It's like a magnet. Just kiss. I don't even wait. And when you're a star, they'll let you do anything. You can do anything. Grab them by the pussy. That actor guy, I don't want to sound too much like a chauvinist, but when I come home and dinner's not ready, I'll go through the roof, okay? Some communist. I've been successful with your girlfriend, I'll tell you that. I took her away like she was a dog. Some guy named Ford. I'm really not even sure he's president. Literally, never heard of him. I have a great relationship with the blacks. I've always had a great relationship with the blacks. If I were starting off today, I'd love to be a well-educated black, because I feel they do have an actual advantage. One of my personal heroes. I have black guys counting my money. I hate it. The only guys I want counting my money are short guys that wear yarmulkes all day. Honestly, I have no idea who this guy is. I mean, the way our country's run, if it doesn't happen to me, me that wins, you know what's gonna happen? They're going to build a plant, and illegals are going to drive those cars right over the border. And they'll probably end up stealing the car. This guy I probably would have liked. It uh, must be a pretty picture, you dropping to your knees. Wait, are you sure that wasn't actually Kennedy? Anyway, blah, 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 George Washington. You get the picture. Let's go play Storm the Capitol. He broke all Washington norms, 
ate fast food, served fast food for Christ's sake, repatriated a small amount of corporate tax dollars, he exchanged love letters with dictators, made it harder to bank terrorist funds, took food benefits away from three-quarters of a million poverty-stricken Americans, made it more difficult to get overtime pay, helped rid the world of spam robocalls, refused to condemn white supremacy, eased banking regulations to help small and medium-sized businesses and individuals obtain loans, rolled back most of the important environmental protections we have from emission standards to drilling rights, supported American farmers with a substantial increase in subsidies and punitive tariffs, implemented a number of anti-China business policies to make America more competitive, repealed protections for ethnic minorities designed to encourage homeownership, modernized a significant portion of the military in a shift away from prior conflagrations to new battles ahead in technology and dirty wars. Now, that's all over the map, right? But if you read between the lines, it was indeed America first, but more like white America first. So if you're a white American who eats fast food, maybe you lost a job to China, can't afford solar panels, don't really know that many black people, and watch this guy thumb his nose at Merkel and Macron, oh, and you only watch Fox News, you don't feel misinformed. You probably thought he was funny, and shit kinda went your way. You can get lost in the details so easily because the Trump years were marked by blistering attempts to divert our attention. We moved from one dumpster fire to the next with the media breathlessly trying to stay ahead of Trump's tweet storms. And for their part, the media ate it up as ratings went through the roof and with them, profits. Policy gave way to conspiracy. A historic number of Americans became politically engaged on social media and one's alignment on social issues became a litmus test of citizenship and patriotism. The nation became wholly bipolar under Trump with little consideration for consistency. America first shouted isolationism, and yet we increased our entanglements. The American flag became an icon for racism and poverty shaming instead of freedom and acceptance. If you believe that black lives mattered, then you are anti-law enforcement. Don't denigrate the flag unless it has a blue stripe on it, in which case that's okay. The swamp was drained of career politicians and filled to the brim with lobbyists and special interest groups. Precious little legislation was passed, replaced by mean-spirited executive orders designed to galvanize a base of Americans around the very promises we highlighted in Trump's rally speech. It was governance by order and command. And then the pandemic laid bare all of America's sins. Countries with strongman leaders, part of the neoliberal alt-right wave such as the US, Brazil, India, Russia, and the UK, fared far worse than most other nations in the world, save for the ones that were hit hard early. The U.S. led the way with more than 600,000 deaths, and yet half of the country still thinks we did a great job, and that wearing masks probably killed more people than the fucking virus. In this way, the virus simply attacked the underlying condition that affects Americans. Ignorance. One of the reasons we primed this episode with a takedown of Rupert Murdoch is that even he created a Frankenstein media landscape that turned against its creator, especially during the Capitol riots. And on that note, beyond Russiagate, the Steele dossier and P-tapes, impeachable threats for twisting the arm of a foreign nation to do political bidding at home, the Capitol riot stands alone as the single most obvious and pitiable display of criminality that should have united us all against the destructive force that was Donald Trump. And yet, just months after a moment that should have awakened us all to the reality that this demagogue was in it only for himself and literally no one else, we once again succumbed to collective amnesia with those on the right absolving the sins of their brothers and sisters who tried to burn down what's left of our democracy and those on the left shrugging with a sigh of relief that it's just over. 
When you go through the Trump years, it's like experiencing whiplash all over again. But when the smoke clears, it should be apparent to unfuckers that we were once again conned. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. So how do we talk to our friends, our co-workers, our loved ones that love Trump? How do we even talk to those who hated him but are missing the larger picture that Trump was just a pimp? How do we help people understand who the devil is and how to spot him? Start by killing the thing that both sides hold dear in their hearts. The guy that the middle left loved to love and the guy that the right loves to hate. One of the best salesmen the world has ever seen. Here to help us along is the good Reverend Dr. Cornell West. How does the Democratic Party come to terms with Obama and his legacy? Because it's clear that hardly anyone wants to critically examine it. So you can't say too much about the Wall Street bailout explicitly. Uh, you can't say too much about the drones. You can't say too much about the wars in Libya and, 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 and Somalia and the bombs in Yemen. You can't say too much about the, uh, the very ugly Israeli occupation. You can't say too much about the ugly Egyptian authoritarianism, but though they are tied to the Obama administration. So the Democratic Party's in a very tough situation because you've got Democrats who are in love with our dear brother Barack Obama, and we know he's a zillion times better in many ways than the Trump in the White House right now. But on the other hand, it, there, it, it wasn't a golden age. Now, I understand it's overused, but one of the phrases that I love most about the Trump years is that Trump simply said the quiet parts out loud. If we're to have an honest conversation about the Trump years, it's important to benchmark them against some sort of norm. And because Obama's considered the standard bearer for the Democratic Party and the ultimate foil for Republicans, it's the best place to start. Much of what we despise about Trump was eerily similar to the Obama years. It's almost like he's Obama's id. Trump was the thing the establishment burped up, or as many have said, the symptom of the disease. But don't get lost in who's the better man, the better husband and father. While I think these are important characteristics, we do elect these people to run the nation, not marry us and raise our kids. So I've covered before how if you take Obama by the numbers, he should be considered one of the greatest Republican presidents in modern history, if not the best, insofar as his policies most closely mirror the stated GOP platform. Trump was bellicose. Obama was silent, but deadly. Like a seeping fart in the backseat of your father's station wagon with the windows rolled up. Don't think so? Ask the civilians of Yemen, Pakistan, Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, and Somalia who lived under the constant buzz of drones overhead during the Obama years. Trump promised to close Wall Street loopholes, repatriate multinational taxes, and fight for the little guy. Then he did an about-face and gave away the store to corporate America. But tell me, honestly, how does that differ from Obama? Apart from the tax cuts on the wealthiest, the economic policies under both men are nearly identical. Obama had the political mandate to create universal health care to cover all Americans, and instead, he used the Conservative Heritage Foundation plan as a model to collaborate with insurance companies and hospitals to create a system that enriched corporations. During the good years, it was masked by strong economic performance that placed more people on policies or disaster insurance, and Medicaid was indeed expanded. But the cover of Obamacare and our system of health insurance-driven coverage was unmasked horrifically during the pandemic and on and on and on. Now you can blame Mitch McConnell for a great deal of this, 
But much of the inaction that plagued the Obama years was a deliberate attempt to improve current systems and make changes on the margins instead of implementing wholesale structural changes to a broken system when they had the fucking chance. These policies have a tendency to look great when the economy is strong, but again, as we've covered, our system as it's currently configured is designed to retrench and dissolve into chaos every 10 years. That's why no one at the bottom can get ahead. Not when your net worth is wiped out once a decade. So here's how you catch Trump supporters when they criticize Democrats for hot button issues. I'm gonna offer three conservative talking points that we've all heard before and demonstrate how to flip an argument on its head to help align our priorities as human beings and citizens of a proper democracy. The goal is to lower the temperature by actually hearing them and acknowledging their position, which has been beaten into them over years of misinformation from Rupert fucking Murdoch. Fucking hashtag FRM. Then you want to carefully bring them into the fold by creating a true equivalency to policies created by Democrats. Once you've established these tactics, you can begin to move the conversation and focus on the real underlying issues and point out who's really to blame for a particular situation, most notably wealthy corporate oligarchs. Then, if you can, offer a potential outcome or solution that takes their grievances into account but squarely focuses on tangible policy, the topics like we cover here on Unfucking the Republic. Our trusted producer, whose nom de plume shall be revealed in show notes, will help guide us along. Step one, acknowledge. Start by acknowledging the issue and giving credence to the argument. Step two, align. Create a hard parallel under Obama. Step three, shift. Shift the blame and refocus the center point of the issue. And step four, improve. Outline a better outcome. Ready? Here we go. Immigration. People are fleeing across the border and taking our jobs. At least Trump had the balls to stand up for Americans and do what's right. Acknowledge. Hey, I don't love the way he went about it, but I do think Trump was able to put attention on a critical and dangerous development on the border. I gotta give him credit for that. Align. What drives me crazy about Democrats is they refuse to admit the fact that Obama was the one who built those cages and created the separation policy. I mean, Obama deported way more immigrants and asylum seekers than Trump, but somehow Trump's the bad guy? Shift. What drives me crazy is that the media ignores this as well because they hate Trump so much. And both sides are ignoring the real problem. The left never talks about Obama's failure to contain immigration, and the right refuses to acknowledge why they're coming here in the first fucking place. And improve. We're cutting our nose to spite our face. I mean, you know, in shutting down immigration, we're excluding people who are doing the real shit work. The ones that go back and forth every year to work farms and do menial seasonal labor. That's really fucked a lot of small businesses in America. And the ones who stay and pay into Social Security but never get the benefits because they're not citizens, we're fucking ourselves on Social Security because the media has us arguing against each other. I don't want to pick fucking oranges so now produce prices are through the roof. It's bullshit. I think we can both agree that it would be better to stop overthrowing governments and pouring weapons into South and Central America, forcing people to flee to America, right? It's just so fucked up that the liberal media never talks about this shit. Am I right? Defund the police. Fucking libtards wanted to fund the police and let criminals in Antifa roam free on the streets. Back to blue. Acknowledge. Right? Crazy. Pointed the left fucked that one up. Defund the police. As if any society's ever gotten along without law enforcement. All of the mass shootings under Obama, mass incarceration of black people under Clinton, arming local police stations with military equipment and no training under Reagan, and somehow this is Trump's fault, right? <laughs> Jeez, it's crazy. A line. Everyone knows that black people commit crime at the same rate of white people. 
Only true racists think otherwise, right? But more black people are charged for crimes in the system and are given harsher sentences because our fucking system is broken and it's those rich white people who buy their way out of trouble. And who winds up paying for all these people in prison? Overtime for cops, tanks and riot gears for departments? Yeah, you got it. You and me, buddy. You and me. Thanks, Obama. I just wish Trump hadn't turned it into a race thing by refusing to condemn white supremacist groups. It's almost like he was trying to distract us from the shitty things that Clinton and Obama did. But power protects power, am I right? I swear, sometimes I think Trump is no different than these guys. Sure spend a lot of time trying to convince us that he's not. Shift. You know, instead of defunding the police, we should be trying to protect the police by not having them babysit everyone and their mother. It's ridiculous what we make them do. You know how I back the blue? I back them by saying that they shouldn't have to be daycare providers. We take away school meals, take money away from housing and infrastructure, take fathers away by putting one in five black males in prison for smoking weed while we let Wall Street fuckboys snort cocaine out in the open. And then when all hell breaks loose, the cops are expected to fix it and go into dangerous situations with desperate people. It's fucking bullshit. And improve. I wish people would actually shut up and listen to the cops and the working class for once instead of wealthy Sean Hannity or Ivory Tower Rachel Maddow. They don't know what it's really like for guys like us. The left doesn't want to hear what cops have to say, and the right doesn't want to hear what working class people have to say. But when you listen, they're saying the same fucking things. If we just took care of our own, maybe we could protect our police and our citizens. Socialism. Biden's a fucking socialist, and Democrats want to turn us into Venezuela and give away my hard-earned money. Acknowledge. You're a fucking idiot. Jesus Christ, read a fucking book for once in your life, you mouth-breathing reprobate. Biden's no more a socialist than you are a Rhodes Scholar. Uh, I think you're losing the plot here a little bit. Fuck, my bad. All right, <clears throat> let's try that again. Biden's a socialist and Democrats want to turn us into Venezuela and give away my hard-earned money. Acknowledge. Right? Always with the taxes, those goddamn Democrats. How much more can they expect us to pay? You know what? We have enough socialism in this country and we work damn hard to get it. Leave my social security, Medicare, public schools, and national transportation infrastructure the fuck alone. That's the only socialism that we need, thank you very much. A line. What kills me is how Biden, Trump, Obama, and Bush created socialism for the fucking rich people. You and I have to pay taxes, but Jeff Bezos doesn't, and Amazon gets billions of dollars of our tax money to build warehouses where people turn over more than Biden gets facelifts? All those wealthy industrial farms in the Midwest that aren't even owned by real farmers anymore get billions of socialist subsidies, but I gotta pay property taxes? How stupid did they think we are? Shift. You know what we should do? We should raise taxes on all those fucking corporations that are stealing our money and lower taxes on the rest of us. Leave the rich people that worked hard to get where they are alone. Help the middle class. Help poor people. But take on those fucking mega corporations that Obama didn't have the cojones to stand up to. And improve. We need a system that takes care of hardworking Americans, cops and firefighters, teachers and electricians, people who pay their fair share and stop these fucking corporate welfare babies from stealing what's ours. Because that's capitalism. Am I right? The Trump years were a nightmare, but not for the reasons the corporate media want us to believe. He was gross. He fucked up nearly everything he touched. But be careful when you try to paint him as someone who broke his core promises because on the whole, things worked pretty much like he promised they would. And as much as we all hate to admit it, pretty much like the way they've always worked. It's just that it was all out loud. So loud, in fact, that most people couldn't hear above the noise. 
So take this moment of boring silence under Biden to recalibrate, reconnect, and resume. Recalibrate the conversation to focus on what really matters. Reconnect with those who stand opposed to everything you believe and resume the hard work of fighting for progressive policies. Our Pito Tuiu moment and our Tyson principle are pretty well aligned in this respect. If you think that having this out on social media is making a difference, it's not. Armchair warriors espousing political opinions are indeed Pito Tuiu. And so the Tyson principle is to get offline and start to engage in person. The battle to turn the tide against our corporate overlords isn't happening on social media and won't even happen in the streets. It's at backyard barbecues, in the parking lot after a school board meeting, wherever you worship or at the ball field. Take back the conversation and shift the narrative to help others question the real authorities. Fuck Rupert Murdoch. Don't just hear, listen, and take the fight to them with love. Here endeth the lesson. All right, some housekeeping. Full disclosure, I am somewhat of a Luddite when it comes to technology, but I'm told we have a subreddit created by QWERTY2700. Now, conceptually, I know what this is, but I'll be damned if I really know how to navigate Reddit. I'm just being honest. But for unfuckers who like to mix it up on Reddit, the subreddit is called UNFTR. Not to be confused with subfuckers on Substack, of course. That I've got down. For subfuckers, we have a discount code for each blend of coffee going out to you for the month of July, so look out for that. Also, in our last episode, we mentioned that we were on the hunt for a nom de plume for my incredible producer and partner in crime, and we got a bunch of really wonderful selections. Here are just some highlights. Aaron C. said, Maceo Fuckadelic. Julie P. suggested Virginia Hall, which actually is a good backstory. Look that up. CJL said Roz, which is a Fraser reference. Might be a little dated, but it's pretty great. Bob K. said Bastet, which I kept saying is, you bastard. So I couldn't, I couldn't, even though that too has a good uh, backstory, I couldn't wrap my head around calling our producer, you bastard. Uh, Celtic Apache suggested mistress of unfucking. One bald mutter on Twitter said, a girl has no name. Me thinks that's a GOT reference, yeah? Yeah, okay. It's, it's John, just John on Twitter says, Terry, as in Miss Terry or Miss Terry mystery. Um, so, that was uh, the highlights among a bunch of them. And so I just want to thank everybody for submitting those. And we are happy to reveal that the winning selection was submitted by an unfucker named Dylan who came up with, are you ready? Oh, couldn't we ask the government for help? 99, we're a top secret organization. Not even the State Department knows about us. We just can't go running to them every time we've got a little problem. Then what about Congress, Max? They could put through a special appropriation. How long would that take? Three months. Well, what if it was an emergency? Four months. I love it. The brilliant and capable Agent 99, partner to the bumbling Agent Max and Get Smart. And since I'm your bumbling host and Unfucking the Republic is all about getting smart and my producer is brilliant, beautiful, and loves her country, I can think of no better pod name. Congratulations, 99. Aw, thanks. 99! Would you believe we have coffee donations? Coffee donations? Cass T sent in two coffees and said, I only wish I could send more. No need, brother, and you know why. Aaron C sent us five coffees and said our producer sounds amazing. Well, you know what? She is. We had a slew of new actual coffee orders as well with Unfuck Your Afternoon leading the way. So much that we've gone through our first stock and just had to reorder, so 
thank you. Thank you all for getting our Indigenous Coffee Store up and running. On Facebook, Heather said she just started listening thanks to her husband, Alex. Hey, Alex, thanks for turning your wife on to that. Darling Mickey James said, I just listened to this today. I am so loving your content. I didn't know who fuck Milton Friedman was before you guys, so fuck Milton Friedman. Julie P., I put forward the name Virginia, as we said before, uh, as a cover for your producer, a badass World War II spy, much like our angel. She did it all and saved lives in the process. That was uh, really one of the finalists. But I had like, meet Virginia in my head the whole time. And that just didn't work for me either. Uh, CJL said, keep up the great work. Anxiously waiting your podcast on the great white north. Love from Ontario. Brian W. said, my new favorite podcast, hands down, the Ayn Rand episode won me over. You know what? If you haven't listened to it, do go visit the Ayn Rand episode. Uh, We had a lot of fun putting that together. It's titled, Ayn Rand Was a Dick. Scott C. said, great podcast and great episode, FMF. Had to listen to it twice. So dense with information. Nettie M. Hey, Nettie. I love Ralph Nader, too. Listen to his pod every week, she said. Nettie, if we're ever big enough to do an event, I think we need to kick it off in Outagami Wisco. Bob K. said, fantastic pod. Harsh criticism that does not devolve into right-wing Q-style paranoid nonsense. Fuck the fuck yeah. <laughs> he also suggested, how about an unfucking the FCC soon? Um, yeah, I think that's a pretty good one. So we just came through the Rupert episode, talked about Telcom 96. Uh, might be a while before we revisit the FCC, but we'll see what's going on. We actually do have something with the uh, digital redlining episode that we have coming out in a couple months, a couple weeks. I'm not sure. But anyway, we'll get there. Stumpy W said, found you from TYT. Been binging you ever since. As a severe history buff, you should be mandatory listening for all history studies. Can you imagine if the new education secretary decided unfucking the Republic should be part of the core curriculum? That would be awesome. Andrew I. Mate. Oh, this is a good one. Mate, ever since I started listening to UNFTR, I've been stunned by your brilliant impersonations and accents. I'm not sure if I held that up this episode, but uh, but it's the Oz accents that seem to prove so challenging to Yanks. Yours was one of the least laughable I've heard in a while. Easily a 6.5 out of 10. Thanks again for another wonderfully concise and digestible episode, by the way. So full disclosure, I actually listened to a whole bunch. There's a guy on YouTube that does these two-minute uh, teach you how to do accents. Uh, and I, I kind of lean on that guy. I, I have to find his name and put it up here because I lean on him a lot. Um, so I borrowed a lot of the sounds from what that guy did on YouTube and it was pretty great for me, but I agree. Six and a half is probably even pretty generous, Andrew, but, uh, thank you for letting me know. Brian G. I love the most recent episode as always, but your praise of Matt Taibbi is a bit much considering his most recent work. Yes, he's done lots of great work in the past, but his most recent stuff is laughingly ridiculous. Uh, Brian, email us. Let us know a little bit more. You actually provided some context in the email, but I love Matt Taibbi. I've loved him for a very long time, back to his alt-weekly days. He actually had one of the best, worst stories ever published in a uh, alt-weekly in New York uh, that used, I think it was called the New York Press at the time. And uh, it was something to the effect of the 50 funniest things about the Pope dying, but none of them were funny. They were just all like horrific. And that's just like, this guy has done more critical investigative work like in the financial crisis and Hunter S. Thompson type editorials than I think anybody. He pumps out so much information. I could see how he rubs people the wrong way. And recently he's really taken the left apart, uh, especially left media apart with the uh, Russiagate stuff. Uh, he's even taken Rachel Maddow to task and he's you know he's been pretty vocal about it. But overall, I think that's what I love about him is he just goes for it and he will cover off on the past when he thinks he was wrong in the past. But uh, anyway, that's my feelings about Tay. 
Nathan E. said, love the podcast. Such a delightful presentation of a dreadful topic. To see our socioeconomic misgivings laid bare is equally horrifying and liberating. FMF and FRM. Now, I saved a personal favorite and highlight for last from Jeff S. Started listening on Sunday and I'm one episode away from being caught up. Wow. Uh, holy shit, well-researched, well-written, well-produced, Manny Shoutout, and the catharsis I've been longing for to release all of the despair, frustration, and just pure rage that has built up over the last 20 years of watching politicians and corporations sell out the American people. Ready? Here's my absolute favorite part. I, I Like, I want to stitch this on a fucking pillow in my living room. You ready? It's like Howard Zinn, Noam Chomsky, and Bernie Sanders all got together for a night of ritual sex magic over the grave of Eugene Debs and spawned in a reverent bastard love child who is here to smash the rose-colored glasses that obscure the truth of our own history, unearth the hidden and intertwined roots of the systemic oppression and U.S. corporate political hegemony, and lead us out of this dystopian nightmare we find ourselves in by taking the fucking our republic has endured and aiming it at those who truly deserve it, the architects and enforcers of our neoliberal hellscape. Fuck Milton Friedman! Oh my god. Uh, I might have said that one out loud a couple of times at home and um, just cried uh, myself to sleep with an evil laugh. It was weird. On Twitter, Mbustama, and I have a, a decent Twitter thread going, as you know, not great at the Twitters, uh, but I got a thing going with my buddy Mbustama over there. On Instagram, Pure Vision Equines said I loved it. What the fuck is a Pure Vision Equine? I see horses clearly. Instagram Pure Vision Equines. Let me know what that's all about. I loved it. As a member of the TYT audience, I'm well aware of where the media stands today, but the journey to this point, even back before the good old days of true journalism, is really interesting and formative. Thank you for what you do, and fuck them all. A few highlights on emails. Carl B. was an educator who offered a great suggestion about education and equality. Cass T. and I are going back and forth on MMT, and we're almost at that episode, so stay tuned. Mike R., when we wrapped the last episode, we came into an email from Mike R., who suggested a fourth estate episode, and we were like, whoa, mind blown, we just fucking recorded that. But he did have some other great suggestions, and asked that we give a proper unfucking shout-out to the Belvedere Pride Facebook group for Pride Month. Happy Pride Month. Drew J. sent us a really interesting social commentary suggestion about golf courses and fraternities. I'm kind of rolling that around in my head because I think it's uh, there's a place for it in a larger unfucking. Elena S., a brilliant listener from Mexico. I won't reveal too much about our exchanges. We're going to likely share more of it down the road together. But I will offer you my favorite line from her email. A la chingada con Milton Friedman y que chingue su pinche madre. And not to be misogynistic, que chingue a su pinche padre también. Our Spanish-speaking uh, listeners will get that instantly and either love it or be horrified. Uh, Dan G said, we finally won him over with the FRM episode. Hey, Dan G. Can you send us a message back and let us know what took you so long? Where did we trip up? I gotta know. We got a couple of good reviews. Shalanisam said, greatest podcast. Came to this podcast from commercials run on the Young Turks, and it ruined other podcasts. <laughs> We've done it. El Bacho. El Bacho is a serial unfucker. We love El Bacho over here at Unfucking HQ. And she left a review. Funny and insightful take on politics. One of the best podcasts I've ever listened to. Takes on complicated economic ideas, makes them understandable and entertaining, thoroughly researched and engaging. A must listen. What up, El Bacho? Thank you for that. Book love and pod love. Uh, so no book love this week because unfuckers have a lot to catch up on from prior episodes. And we have some deeper dive examinations, some more uh, socioeconomic uh, stuff coming up. And there will be more books attached to those. So we're going to wait on that. As far as the pod love for this week, you know, we were fortunate enough to be included on the New York Times. What was it? Eight? 
podcast to listen to in the post-Trump era. Uh, and we do, I mean, obviously we appreciate that. And a lot of you did come from that article. So make sure that you listen to the other podcasts on there and give them some love like you've given us. In the meantime, Unfucking the Republic is produced by Manny Faces Media. Uh, you ever notice that Ben Shapiro sounds exactly like a comedian's impression of a Ben Shapiro type of a fucking douche nerd? <laughs> Our theme music was composed by Tom McGovern. Visit TomMcGovern.com. The show is hosted by Bruno Titalia and distributed by Bozzini all along. Send us your comments, your questions, your suggestions to UNFTRpod at Gmail. Connect with us on social. Read our essays on UNFTR.substack.com. And visit UNFTR.com to learn more about the show and how to support us.